You're listening to The Lightwalker's Path with Serena Myers, the podcast that sparks real, raw, honest conversations about what it actually means to live a spiritual life. Serena is a sacred soul mentor who guides people to tap into their heart's truth so they can live their lives with purpose on purpose. Welcome to episode 15 of The Lightwalker's Path. I'm your host, Serena Myers, and this is going to be a little bit different than the usual way we do things around here. This is our first episode in the interview series with different guest experts on different topics so that we can expand our conversation about what it means to live a spiritual life. And in this episode, we are talking all things empath. I am so excited to share this episode with you. I am chatting with Lola Pickett, who is an empath coach who I've had the pleasure of meeting through Camp Soldust, which is a wonderful organization if you don't know it already. And she has a lot of special gifts in the world. Um, she is one of the creators behind the Wild Messengers Tarot, which I absolutely love. And you've probably seen me post about on Instagram. But she is like hardcore into empowering empaths. And as someone who has personally suffered through um, burnout, because I didn't understand just how um, to tend my own flame, I have a special soft spot for the work that she's doing in the world. So, Lola, I would love for you to just start off, tell us a little bit about like who you are, what you're doing, and why it is so important, especially right now in this era. Oh my goodness, what a great launch pad for this conversation. So this work is not the form that my work originally began with, and I think it's important for those of us who are light workers and spiritual entrepreneurs to not feel like my my current place is where I started because it's easy to be like, oh, well, I don't have that or I don't have that clarity or whatever. Um, I was far, far, far away from this place, mostly because I'm an empath and people pleaser and you know, trying to do the things that people told me I should be doing and have the career that made logical sense. And so it's only in the last few years that I've really taken a good hard look at who I actually am, which is a journey for those of us who are mm -hmm. empaths, value what my gifts are and trust that the contributions that I have and the additions I will make to this conversation in particular are of value enough to focus on it exclusively. So what's happened in my work is that it's got more and more refined over the last few years until I finally realized regardless of the format of the work that I did, whether it was in graphic design or marketing or brand strategy or coaching or even what I called at the time shamanic work, all of it was to empower those of us who are highly sensitive beings who lack self-care for a number of different reasons and helping all of the people who kind of resonate with that path to step back into a place of self-caring as a verb, not just as a, a meaningless bubble bath approach, and really own who we are because there's a contribution we're here to make. The systems of power that are in play right now in our governments, in our corporations, in many of the powerful nations, city-states, all of the things that are happening in our world structures are filled with people who do not express empathy, who yeah. do not have open hearts, who are seeming to be motivated purely out of greed and fear. And if we're going to affect change in the human participation in this planet, 
I believe that the structures of leadership need to change. And it doesn't just happen from anarchy and the system blowing up because there's so much harm that happens in that process. I believe it's really a grassroots effort of those of us who are heart-centered, who are empaths, who are highly sensitive, taking back our power from all the ways we give it away so that we can literally empower ourselves, infuse ourselves with this power that we all have with our gifts, with our self-assuredness, with our self-esteem, our self-worth, our self-trust. And in empowering ourselves as individuals, my mission is that we begin to rise up through the hierarchies of society and really flip these power structures on their head in a more peaceful and gradual way that's more sustainable. Because we all want like the instant fix. We want the Amazon to stop burning right now. We want all of these things to change because it's so obvious they need to. And yet that kind of quick change is not kind to the system. As I'm sure you and I have both experienced in our own like personal growth process, the changes that come fast and hard are very, very difficult on our nervous system. And our culture is kind of a big nervous system. So, and the recovery period seems to be longer too. Exactly. Like, like slow and steady progress rather than burning it to the ground and having to rebuild from scratch. Completely. Yeah. Completely. So that's like why I'm doing this work, why I focus on this particular group of people. And it's been fascinating to see how all the different aspects of my journey leading up to this point have really added so much to kind of my unique voice in this conversation and also the unique way that I show up in service to these folks to really help that empowerment actually happen and stick and -hmm. not just like a a flash in the pan of like, oh, I feel really good. And oh, there's all my old patterns. Okay. Well, that didn't work. And I think like just for the purpose of this conversation, because I want to make sure that um, we're not making any assumptions based on what people know, when we're talking empath, how would you like quick and dirty description, how would you define someone who's an empath? Yeah. So an empath is a little bit different than having empathy. Empathy is the ability that we have to put ourselves in someone else's shoes and imagine how they're feeling. Empath, being an empath means that we actually feel what they're feeling. Sometimes we're not even aware that we're doing it. A lot of times this is happening unconsciously and it's like this way that our nervous system and our sensory gates are attuned to the world. And so we have a very hard time, most of the empaths that I work with, separating what's mine from what's yours. And I don't even know if what I'm feeling is mine. You know, I can walk into a room and suddenly be flooded with grief. Is that because I'm channeling the collective? Is it because I'm feeling the trees in the Amazon? Is it because somebody in the room just lost somebody? Or is it because I'm having my own personal experience of grief? So learning to differentiate that is a big um, area of opportunity for empaths. Mm. And it's very different from just having empathy where you are essentially in a position of compassion. Like, oh, I understand how that could be for that person. Empaths actually have the physical, mental, energetic, emotional experience of that person. Just carrying the weight of the world, really. Yes. And is that our job? Uh, I have a whole podcast about that. And no, it's not. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. And I feel like that distinction piece is probably like the biggest tool that they can even have in their tool belt because totally you don't need to be like not just carrying the weight, but also like doing the work to release it. Like you really want to make sure that there's that clear line in that sand. Completely. Because if you're doing everybody else's work for them, um, what does that do for those people? Mm-hmm. gives them a huge shortcut to doing nothing, gives them a position in a hammock in Costa Rica. Like what are we doing for people when we're doing their work for them? Mm-hmm. It's not really the help that we think it is. No. And I feel like we're actually doing them a disservice because they're not getting to figure it out. And then for lasting change to happen, it kind of has to come from within. 
yeah, it's nasty and brutal and it has to be our own. <laughs> totally. And so when we talk about like that kind of line in the sand energetically, like boundaries are such a huge part of your work. So what, how did, like, how does that work for when empaths are coming from that place, particularly with the people pleasing background, how do they even get there? Well, I'll give a story from one of my clients for an example, because I think this is a really good analogy for what we're experiencing when we don't have good boundaries, emotionally especially, um, but energetically as well. So I had this client a few years ago, and she was in the process of grieving the loss of her parent and had a sibling. And what was happening in this family dynamic was that my client was the emotional backbone of the entire family. She held all the grief. She held all the responsibility. She did all the work. She held the financial reins. And what she would end up doing is rescuing everybody else in the family because she had it. She had it figured out or so she thought, right? And so when it came time to like give the inheritance to her brother, there was a lot of resentment because here was this, you know, like payout essentially for all the work that she had done that she then had to share with someone in the family who was in entitled and just riding on the coattails of her contributions, not mm -hmm. going to get a job, not taking care of themselves, getting into addiction patterns and, you know, being a weight on the family. And so we were in this conversation about this dynamic and I just offered some reflections of what I was seeing. And then I asked her because she kept talking about what her sibling needed, what my sibling needed, how he's feeling. Oh my gosh, this is so intense for him. Nowhere in the conversation was I hearing anything about her. Mm. Where was she in all of this? How was she feeling? And so I stopped her and I said, what do you need right now? And she just literally like her jaw dropped. It probably never even and occurred to her to ask. No, it didn't. It literally did not. This is a 40-year-old badass businesswoman who has not stopped to ask herself, what do I need? Hmm. And I know she's not the only one. And I see this all the time with my clients. It's been my own journey, right? And so when I stopped her with that question and saw how powerful it was, that was actually a turning point in the focus of my entire direction. Because I realized that one question holds so much for us. When here we are so capable, so able to see and perceive what people need, even though that sometimes it's a projection of what we think they need. We can go into that too. But, uh, <laughs> you know, this is the first part of boundaries is really beginning to assess where you are. There is no boundary unless there's a territory that's held by it. Mm -hmm. You are that territory. You are that border. You need a... a differentiation point between you and the rest of the world. Most empaths and HSPs don't really have that. Sometimes they don't want it. Sometimes it's way too confronting to even ask, what do I need right now? Brings up all your childhood stuff of nobody asking, nobody taking care of that. You just having to figure it all out. So I have a lot of compassion for the fact that this is a simple question and also one of the hardest questions for many of us to have a sincere inquiry around because it does bring up all that stuff. And that's why I hold the kind of spaces I hold because this is big work that we're doing here. And it's funny because a lot of people think it's the upholding of the boundary that is the hard work. And it is like, that's a whole other piece of it. Yep. But that, that step of even identifying that there is a boundary and claiming a space for yourself before you even project that into the world 
Yeah. That can be really scary if you've been conditioned out of like denying your own needs or recognizing your wants or even just honoring yourself in any capacity. That's right. A lot of us have felt deeply unsafe doing that because it has been in our best interest as a tactic of survival to be hyper vigilant to what else is happening, what everybody else is feeling, what they're thinking, what their needs are. And that's how we stayed safe, a lot of us. And that's also part of the conditioning of our culture, regardless of what our family was like. Mm-hmm. And so to, to kind of turn that around and say, well, I have needs is like a radical thing. And it's so much more complex and nuanced than some you know, internet meme of like, I am worthy, <laughs> you know, has to say. It's like, there's, there's so much to this. And you're right. You can't cast a boundary if you don't believe you're worthy of having them. You can't. Mm-hmm. It's not going to work. No. And I think until you're willing to claim it for yourself, like no one else can honor it anyway, because nobody knows where that line in the sand is. They're just going wherever they want. That's right. Their, their boundaries are the ones that'll dominate then because they're, they'll just keep pushing. They'll keep pushing until there's a pushback. And for so many of us, the pushback doesn't happen until we totally and utterly bottom out and burn out. So here's the thing that I always find interesting in people's journeys is when they start to claim that space, Because yes, we're entitled to want what we want, need what we need, but the people around us are also entitled to want what they want and need what they need. So now when we start to take up more space and have boundaries, it changes the dynamics and how we relate to people. So how, um, how do you recommend navigating that in a way that doesn't just burn all our relationships to the ground so that we have to start from scratch? Well, yeah, I think there's, there's two aspects of it. One is that sometimes that is in the best and highest good of everybody involved because it truly is an unhealthy dynamic. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it just needs to be reconfigured based on your new sense of self and there's an adjustment period. So what I like to say is that everybody's, everybody else's needs and wants and feelings are not your responsibility and they're actually none of your business. And so that is a mantra or a power statement, more accurately said, that I will use for myself when I'm in a sticky situation with boundaries and maybe I've bumped up against a, like a family member who's not appreciative that I'm not going into their story or that I'm not performing the way that I used to or people pleasing or apologizing where there's no apology needed. And so when I stop performing those things because I now have boundaries, they don't really know what to do with that, right? And so I remind myself how you're feeling and what you're perceiving and even your stories about me are none of my business and they are your responsibility. Like I hand that back to you over the wall of my boundaries. <laughs> like <laughs> there's this nice little neighborhood white picket fence that I have around. There's roses and things growing on it in my boundary field. And I'm just handing that back to you over my fence. Like, nope, that's yours. That's not mine. And if I take that on empath problems, then I start to try and heal something that's not mine. And we cannot heal what isn't ours, mm-hmm. which is why so many of us empaths are so sick all the time because we're running energy and processing and trying to take things on from people and process them ourselves because we can do it, but we actually can't do it. It doesn't do us any good. And then it bypasses us doing our own work. And it bypasses them doing theirs. Yep. Bypass all around. <laughs> How helpful I am. <laughs> Now, I noticed that uh, a lot of, and I don't know if this is the same in your work, but a lot of the women or the people rather that I know who identify as empaths or HSPs tend to be either, um, they tend to be women. They tend to be women. um, And I can't, I don't believe that women are necessarily more inclined. Mm -mm. Is Is that like a cultural conditioning? Like men are just like, 
the wall is just more up or what, like, what do you think is going on there? I think that there is a lack of language for men and male identified people to vote themselves into that camp. Mm. And I think a lot of times it's going on under the surface. There's even a lack of self-awareness that that's the mechanism that's keeping them in overwhelm, keeping them in patterns of addiction. Um, one of the interviews that I did most recently on my podcast was with Amber Magnolia Hill of Medicine Stories. And she said, you know, her dad's alcoholism, she links to him being an HSP and being unable to even name that that's what's going on and then therefore be able to begin to integrate it and, you know, channel it appropriately. Instead, it just goes into overwhelm, shutdown, and I need to numb out. Mm -hmm. So I think what we're seeing is that a lot of people who don't have that cultural like stamp of approval to be sensitive end up having um, pretty severe coping mechanisms to handle it, all of which are socially sanctioned. Mm -hmm. It's far more socially sanctioned to get drunk than it is to be emotionally overwhelmed when you walk into a room, especially if you're male or male identified. Well, and, and how do we, like, if I look at the spiritual community as a whole, a lot of this in the, in the recent years, I'd say the last like five to 10 years, so much of it is the rise of the feminine and in, in, and in nurturing um, us to embrace our power and to really be in this place. But like, when we know that this is the undercurrent for, for males and male identifying people, how do we support that? How do we make it safe for them to be able to have these gifts? I think that we need to retune our attraction because we are also as women victims of the, the patriarchy. And we might say we want a sensitive partner and we'll keep dating the jerks, mm -hmm. right? Or we, we literally won't feel attracted to somebody who is emotionally tuned in because it doesn't seem as strong of a polarity in our energetic dynamic, which is not actually true. Mm -hmm. It's just what we've been programmed to feel and think. And so there's a whole lot of deconditioning that needs to happen in the feminine side of the spectrum, if we want to call it that. And also, we need more men to come out of the closet and say, hey, it's okay if you feel this way. This is how I cope with it. And this is how I'm learning how to integrate this in healthy ways and not numb out. And this is how my partnership stays hot. You know, like all the things that I think masculine, like quote unquote, people struggle with and fear by coming out of the closet and kind of owning that this is an aspect of themselves. If we can have models of that be more and more and more visible, Mm -hmm. It creates that safe space. Like we are a creature of co-regulation. So we are our neurons are mirroring everything that we're choosing to engage with, everything that we're connected with, whether that's intentional or not. And so we need, uh, we need healthy mirrors, you know, out there who are helping the rest of us co-regulate to something different than the, the cultural programming. So I think there's an, a huge opportunity for strong masculine guides in this space that don't become just like women, right? Like it's not about the men's circles where everyone's crying and processing. It's about how do we be all? How do we be this and? How do we show up in that polarity? How do we own the fact that there is this dynamic of complementary opposition? How do we be that without trying to be one or the other? And your retreats tend to be co-ed as well, don't they? 
They do. It's a very unusual thing. So my husband and I do a lot of our work together. And even when I'm the public face of things like my online classes, he's almost always involved in the back end, both from like a tech support kind of architecture standpoint, but also as a mentor and a coach. And he'll be very, very vocal and visible in our Facebook groups and with our coaching calls. And I think people get a lot from that because it's not a common thing to see a partnership or even just, you know, like a platonic man and woman stand up and say, Hey, like we're both all, and this is how we make this work. Right. And I think that's really beautiful because those are, they become the mirrors. They become the examples that we can see and then say, that's what's possible. Exactly. And I know for the women, we had many retreats where a lot of the guests are women or female identified and it's only Tigre, who's like the only outright male there, right? Like heterosexual, cisgender male. And they get such healing from having what is essentially like a women's circle where it's safe to be around a man who doesn't want anything from them, who's not there to get anything from them, who's not inappropriate sexually, who has his boundaries like super clear and firm. And it's just like, well, this is possible, mm -hmm. you know? And so the Tigre and I actually talk about him starting to do more quote unquote men's work because there's real strange things going on in that part of this industry right now, at least from what it seems from our perspective. And I, I joke with him like, oh good, now I can be part of the men's circles. Just like you've, you've probably been in more women's circles than any other man on the planet. And you have, there's so much that you have received from that. Like he gets to see inside of the women's experience in ways that only mine could not speak to, right? Mm -hmm. Like such a precious gift. And so the more integrated we can create for these spaces, the more trans friendly they are, the more BIPOC friendly they are. And that is so important to me. I do not want to run an exclusive space. I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in integration. So I better be integrating as much as I possibly can in my work, right? I can't do it perfectly. I'm not doing it perfectly, but I'm here for it. Yeah. I certainly have witnessed that in my own work and in my courses, um, because everything that I had was focused on and geared towards um, the healing of, of the feminine in whatever yeah. shape that takes. And it wasn't until I had a man sign up for my course say, wait a minute, is this just for women? Where I had to go, oh my gosh, that content is not gender neutral. Like it didn't even, because it's not what I had in mind yeah. when I created right. it. And um, I think that was the first little aha where I had, I said, we need to have more stuff available. Like the entire spiritual course community, not entire, that's a bit dramatic, but so much <laughs> of it aimed you know, at, at this, at, at, at women in general. And it's, it's really excluding a large part of the, the population who needs the work. A huge part of the population. And I think there's an art form to making it safe for them to do this kind of inquiry as well, because it isn't going to be approached in the same way necessarily, necessarily as it has been for the women's work up to this point. It's like, we can't position it that way. It's not going to feel safe or interesting or relevant mm -hmm. to the men who are working to unpack the man box they've been put into for their whole life and more, you know? So it's, it's really, really interesting to begin to create a more integrative experience and notice the ways we're being exclusive and exclusionary and like get curious about, well, what does it look like? What does it look like? People have gotten very mad at me because I'm a very pro trans rights person on my public profile. And I've gotten some real interesting commentary from people who identify as like trans exclusionary feminists and you know what are you saying that men belong in the red tent 
And I, I think, yes, and, you know, yes, and. Why is it only safe? How are we ever going to get out of rape culture mm-hmm. if we keep holding ourselves as separate? We are separate and, right? Mm-hmm. There are times for us to go within and to be in a circle of sisters and what have you, but to make it like that's a rule to me feels very um, limited, you know? Well, and I, I feel like it's usually rooted, and it's funny that it, I feel like it's usually rooted in fear and trauma and pain yes. that need to have the wall up and, and to make it exclusive because there has been some kind of harm done. Exactly. But the downside to that is that how can you find the remedy to that pain, that trauma, and that hurt unless you have these examples and unless you're in safe spaces where you feel safe um, with people who maybe maybe are types of people who had like betrayed you in some capacity in the past. Exactly. Like I have, I have a wonderfully sensitive husband who um, is big support, totally not spiritual. Well, at least he doesn't identify as such. I think that's great. <laughs> and I cannot tell you how nourishing it was because I had toxic relationships with my brothers. I had toxic relationships with my dad. I've had like a plethora of shitty boyfriends. Like all I knew was the, the shadow side of the masculine. Yeah. You know? And so to, um, to share space every day with a man who is uh, like probably honestly in many ways more in touch with his feelings than I am. Um, yeah has been so nourishing for me to be able to rewrite these stories. And since then I have formed friendships with men who, you know, some of which identify as spiritual and some of which who don't, but who show up with their hearts in ways that I can repair all of these old stories and these old traumas that I didn't even recognize were there until suddenly I started seeing these beliefs being challenged within myself. Totally. So long as we have that wall up and we keep people out, we don't get the opportunity to do that. No. And that's the tricky part of this conversation because we talk about boundaries, right? But my definition and the way that I believe boundaries function best is not actually to keep people away. It's to create a safe space for us to internally radiate, Mm. right? It's more like a hug for ourselves versus a keep out sign to others, which is a totally different energetic, Mm -hmm. right? So that is what allows us to have this safer kind of integrated exploration with the very types of people who have hurt us in the past. And that is, I would hesitate to say, almost the only way we're really going to reprogram our trauma wiring. Um, It's the same kind of thing that will happen with medicine work, with clinical MDMA, with all of these tools that we now are, uh, are now becoming more and more available at least we have to create this safe space to rewire our body for a present that is not the same as the past. Mm-hmm. Well, when you think about, if we go back to the start of this conversation, when you, t- when you described your fence, it was not a concrete wall. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a white picket fence and there were roses and it was, it was beautiful and friendly and uh, welcoming. And I think if we can think of our boundaries in that way, it's yes, it's this beautiful space and this line for us, but it's not to keep people out. It is. And with it being picket fence, like there is even that space in between each of the little. Yeah. There's spaciousness there. Mm -hmm. I I really feel like boundaries are, what's the best way of putting this? It's like a resonance membrane Mm. where 
the way that I picture it on an energy plane is where I have this like, it's like a torus, right? A torus of energy that's coming out from my center and radiating out around me and then back up through the ground. And it's this infinite circle, right? But the circle is permeable mm -hmm. and it's permeable based on keys of resonance. So that only that which is truly a match for me has energetic permission to enter. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, the dissonance functions as a protection, like the dissonance becomes protection versus me needing to be like aggressive, no, harsh. Like boundaries don't need to be harsh. They don't need to be cruel. So now that we've come back to boundaries, this is actually really awesome because um, I know you've got something coming up around boundaries and bank accounts. So when we come to that, that, <laughs> that feels like there is a big connection between empaths and their money. Oh, yeah. Um, because otherwise you wouldn't need to create a program like boundaries and bank accounts. So can you tell me a little bit about the relationship between empaths and, and money, and then we'll get into what's coming up for you. Absolutely. So I have seen this time and time again, both in my own life and in the things that are unfolding for my clients. And this is common to healers, right? People who don't even identify or maybe even know that they're an empath. There's this common denominator of a, a distance between us and our money. And there are energetic reasons for that. There are societal programming reasons for that. Like, ooh, money is bad or money is evil or money is dirty or it's greedy to want more money. A lot of people are self-sacrificing when it comes to their money because they don't want to be in their power. Power hasn't felt safe. Money gets equated with power quite often. And it just doesn't feel safe or good or like the right thing to do. And so what are we doing instead? We're being martyrs that are sick and addicted and broke over and over and over again, which does what for us exactly, right? Are we fed? Or are we communities? Like we or our community? No, no, we cannot. We cannot give from an empty cup. And that's a, a phrase that is used quite a lot. And it is deeply true. It is deeply true. And we think by giving first, that somehow it's going to come back to us. Has that been our experience as empaths? Mm -mm. No. Nine times out of 10. Brains. No because people will just take, mm -hmm. people will just take. And so we have to change the dynamic around and say, what's in it for me? Something that I talked about on my podcast about money in the nervous system, what's in it for me? And that question for empaths, going back to the, what do you need right now is incredibly difficult to prioritize. We are not used to putting ourselves first. It feels selfish. It feels arrogant. It feels egotistical. It feels unkind none of which are true. It's true self-caring. It's treating yourself as sacred. And so the work that I'm doing now, a lot of it is around money because without that fuel, that literal fuel in our bank accounts, we can't go out and live the purpose we're here to do, which makes us feel inadequate, crappy. It tanks our self-worth. It is like this horrible spiral. And so one of the ways we can begin to turn it around is to reclaim our bank accounts setting better financial boundaries, starting with ourselves. Like boundaries start with us first and radiate outwards. The biggest person to breach our boundaries is ourselves. Mm -hmm. That's definitely true in my life as well. And every time that I start to resent other people for betraying my boundaries, I go, wait a minute, did I even put them up? Did I even <laughs> honor them myself? Right. Like, wait a minute, did I say no first to like what this is all about? Did I agree to this and it didn't mean to? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a big, big topic. And so I'm going to start the conversation. I actually have a free class next week that it'll 
be perfect timing, I think, with when this podcast comes out for people to sign up. And I'll get you the link. It's lolapicket.com slash ESD. And ESD stands for Empath Stress Disorder. This is something that I've coined in looking at all of the side effects that I'm seeing over and over and over again happening with empathy because he's one of which is financial instability and basically living on a financial roller coaster. And it, it has roots in our nervous systems, which is something that I think a lot of people aren't connecting. It's like, oh, I'm just bad with money or, oh, my family's always been terrible or, oh, my mom taught me this or whatever. That's true. And where it's actually living is in your body, in your sensory gates, in the way that your brain and biology is programmed to perceive reality. Mm-hmm. So, There's such a, t- a huge tie between the nervous system and our own sense of security and safety. Absolutely. It is our sense of security and safety. And so if that's wired in a way that is flawed and keeps our bank accounts on empty because we feel safer being at the edge, that is not going to um, function for us, nor is it going to work for us to just go meet with a financial advisor and set a budget. Mm-hmm. We will not stick to that budget. We will not look at the budget. We will have all of our flight, 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 freeze, or fawn behaviors come out. Um, our nervous system is really the key to shifting those patterns for good. And it's not like an instant fix because nothing, like we said earlier, like you don't want the big instant change, generally speaking, because it creates a whole lot of side effects. We want to be able to gradually repattern ourselves. And step number one is to come to my class, which is free. And I can actually personally vouch for it because I went through um, the empath stress disorder program last time you ran it. And I recommended it to so many people. And it was interesting timing because it was at the same time where people in my life out of nowhere were messaging me coming out as empaths. And I was like, oh, well, that's wonderful timing. Here's Lola. You need to meet (laughs) That's awesome. I, um, it's extra special for me to have you come on to talk about this because it's not just that I think you're really lovely and I enjoy your energy. It's, I really believe in what you do and, um, and I get it. And I think that it's important and anything that I can do to give that a signal boost, I am all on board for. Thank you so much for that. I really appreciate it. And it, it takes all of us working together in, you know, interdependence and like community to raise this up. I mean, I am definitely woo compliant, but I'm also like super grounded in life here on earth. And when we talk about raising our frequency, it has to do with where our energy is at in our bodies and what we can even tolerate. Mm -hmm. So this conversation is so important. People like to just go right into the vibes. And if we don't bring it into the body, what are we radiating out? But dissonance and lack of clarity, not cool not effective. And not sustainable. Not sustainable. No. So yeah, I mean, people who are listening, if you have like ongoing kind of ups and downs with money, or you're wondering how can I get paid for all the things I'm constantly giving away for free. uh, I have this phrase that I just came up with yesterday that was cash over compliments. Ooh. Right. Because like we as empaths are constantly getting this feedback of like, oh, you're so amazing. And your energy feels so good. And Oh, thank you so much for listening. I feel like nobody listens to me like you do. And it's so healing to be around you. And it's like, yeah, and I can't pay my mortgage with that. Yeah, exactly. Right. So if you want to kind of shift into a space where you can hold that for yourself and begin to ask for compensation and you know raise your prices, whatever it is that needs to happen in your life, this is going to be a great place to start. Yeah. And the fact that you do this for free is so amazing. Right? I should charge for it, but whatever. It's cool. Yeah. It's I have, a wonderful I introduction to your work though. Thank you so much. Yeah, that's really wonderful. So it's lolapicket.com slash ESD. Correct. 
Awesome. And we will make sure to link that in the episode notes. Thank so you. you can find Lola pretty much everywhere on the internet. So she has her website, lolapickett.com. She's on Instagram. You're on Facebook as well, right? Mm-hmm. Pretty much mm-hmm. everywhere. And she has beautiful courses, uh, group programs, and retreats, uh, plus an Oracle deck that will uh, make your mouth water. You can't see it, but there's actually some of the art is on my wall right now. Yeah, and yes. she is absolute magic. So if you identify as, as being an empath, or even if you just know, like, you're a little sensitive and maybe, maybe not, you're not ready to claim the title yet, um, find this work. Find her online. Even if you start off just stalking her on Instagram, it will be enough to nourish you, I promise. Awesome. Thank you so much, Serena. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. It has been an absolute pleasure to have this conversation, and I hope you found it helpful too. So remember, you have a safe space that you can join us online in our Facebook group, The Lightwalker's Path, the absolute same name as this podcast. And to get more out of Lola, you want to follow her on social media at The Lola Pickett or on her website, lolapickett.com. We'll see you next time.